Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life, the podcast that will teach you how to trigger upward spirals of health and happiness in your life. I'm Andy Proctor, a happiness activist whose goal is to make your life more happy with science-backed strategies and powerful interviews. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. Welcome back to another episode of More Happy Life. This is your host, Andy Proctor, and today we are going to bring another Proctor to the show, (laughs) Taylor Proctor. So uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about the language of happiness and how much our language has an impact on our happiness. And I'm so happy to bring Taylor back to the show. She was on episode 78, if you remember, back in the day. And we talked actually about the science of vision boards and uh, the reticular activation center in the brain and how, you know, putting things past that can really help you, uh, you know, manifest uh, in the woo-woo terms and really just like make things happen, right, in your life uh, because you start thinking about it more often and your brain starts to believe it. And it's cool because in this episode, I talk about how, you know, I recently had put this uh, on on another thing on my vision board, which is to get a PhD. Uh, This is a huge one for me. And, you know, uh, I I just barely got into the program that is going to be my PhD. So it's pretty amazing how this all works and how much our language that we use in our own minds uh, as well as with other people and the language that's in conversations that we have all of this has an impact on us. So I hope you tune into this episode. It's a really awesome conversation with one of my really good friends, Taylor Proctor. She's amazing. If you haven't already listened to episode 78, if you're curious about the science of vision boards, please do yourself a favor and do that. Uh, But yeah, Taylor Proctor from the Happiness Abound podcast is my special guest today on this beautiful, wonderful episode of More Happy Life podcast. Taylor, it's so awesome to have you back on the show. Last time uh, you were on, we were talking about the science of vision boards uh, back in, uh, gosh, episode 78. And uh, when I read your recent post about the power of language uh, that you have now written a a book about, um, I was so excited. So I'd love to just dive right into this and talk about how does language impact us in our well-being. So um, yeah, thanks for being here, Taylor. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited. Being on your show was like the highlight of my life. So to be on it for a second time is just overwhelmingly exciting. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I want to actually share just like a cool fact with you as an update from the last time we spoke on this podcast about vision boards. And I set up my vision board after our conversation um, and I put it on my wall, kind of like you said, you know, just like with the, with the painter's tape and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I put on my vision board was to learn to play the cello, uh, which also you play the cello, right? I do, I do. That's it's, so cool. It's, we it's gotta so jam sometime. We do, because I find it so interesting. We have the same last name. We both play the cello. I think we both did track in high school. Right, yeah. We both have podcasts about like positivity and happiness. It's awesome. 
Oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like this into the spider verse, right? You're like a separate spider woman. <laughs> I'm like, I am too. And maybe we're in different universes. Okay. I love so, it. <laughs> um, but uh, so just last Sunday, just kind of as an update and like a celebration, I had my first cello recital and I finally took this off my vision board and put it in kind of my like success portfolio thing. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It was just so, it felt so good and just, you know, it was fulfilling um, to, to do that. And it was such a, a beautiful part of my life for the last two years. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think it was really powerful. And I, I recently um, added another thing to my vision board, which was to, is to uh, get a PhD. So I have this kind of fake, kind of basically photoshopped, um, <laughs> like, you know, diploma that says like, uh, you know, doctor of philosophy on it and like has like random signatures from that are scribbly and, uh, <laughs> but it's like, just, just to visualize it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of a big one for me. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, because, and you can probably relate to this with, with your last name. I've always wanted to be Dr. Proctor, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so I've been studying like crazy for the GRE and, um, you know, working on my applications for the, for the big two schools in Utah and, um, at least closer to me in Utah. So, um, anyway, so just mainly saying that vision boards work and what you shared on the podcast, um, in episode 78 was life-changing for me. So thank you for that. You are so welcome. I'm so happy to hear that. And congrats on your first recital. Taking things off your vision board is amazing. And I can't, I cannot wait to call you Dr. Proctor. I'm so excited for that. So excited. Oh yeah. You know, I thought if anything else, if nothing else, um, you know, when I'm teaching students or, or whatever, I will make people happier because they will just smile whenever they say Dr. Proctor, right? Like it puts yes. a smile on your face. <laughs> If no other happiness strategies help people other than people saying my name, that will be worth it. So, <laughs> uh, so today I want to talk to you about the power of our language and um, how our language kind of impacts us and impacts our well-being, our thoughts, our emotions. So, first of all, tell me what you know. Why did you get in interested in the language uh, in in language, I guess, in general and how did and how it impacts us yeah i think if you think about it language is so powerful right it can persuade it can inform it can shape perspectives and ultimately language is what changes the world and mm-hmm. so if you think about it um we're going to go like hamilton style here for a second but it's been used to start and end revolutions it can invoke the deepest of emotions And really it's how we can communicate with each other as long as we've been part of the human race. So since our inception, communication has been there and language is such a core part of that. And I think that it's interesting because language as a a verbal construct is what we think of when we think of language, but also there's body language. So even if we think about communication as a human race, maybe we didn't speak first, but body language was always there. And so I think language is such a powerful tool. And if you think about, like really think about it, all the times that you use language, we are using it right now. 
use it for that business call for work, whether it's that discussion with your, your spouse, planning a vacation, sharing experiences with your friends, posting on social media, like influencing, leading your children, your community, your teams. Language is everywhere. And there isn't a time when language is not present, especially if, even if sitting in silence, your body language is still telling a story and communicating. So I am just fascinated by this idea of language and how it truly shapes our views of the world. And our views of the world can impact everything from how much money we make, how successful we are, how healthy we are, our decisions, the quality of life, the quality of our relationships, and so much more. So the constant communication, the language that we use within ourselves, outwardly with other people and through our body has the truest power over our outcomes in our life and our emotions in our daily lives. I love that so much. That's really powerful. And I think I agree with you, you know, from the TED talk uh, that I, I've seen about, you know, how even just like our language, our, our, you know, like English, Spanish, French, German, whatever that the language that we've learned from a, a child, um, you know, impacts the way we, way we think. Right. And like mm-hmm. some people who, um, you know, live in certain areas of the world. They don't think in terms of like north, south, east, west. Uh, east, west. They think in terms of, uh, you know, other things that that are words for those things. And there's different words for, um, like in Spanish. I, I learned Spanish, and in Spanish, there's different words that mean different things that just don't have a word in English. You know, like mm-hmm. um, this word called animo. Um, I guess if I was to pronounce it in Spanish, animo. <laughs> and uh, it, it doesn't just mean motivation or like, it, it's kind of like this combination of spark and like motivation and like what wakes you up in the morning and kind of, it's like hard to explain it, you know? And I think it's, it's really powerful. But then, you know, how much um, our thoughts can become things, our thoughts can become reality, you know? how our words inform our thoughts can be just, you know, monumental. So how, how do you, how would you see that our words and our language can like inform and impact our thoughts? Yes. I love this question. And I love that you brought up that there's certain words that some languages have that we don't have necessarily in English because there's, um, well, in my book, I talk about how there was a study but done by a researcher, Jules Davidoff, and he visited a tribe that had um, no word for the color blue. And they, didn't have, they didn't have a way to describe the differences between like the colors blue and green. And in fact, some of the oldest languages in the world, like Hebrew, Chinese, Greek, etc., did not have a word for the color blue. It's missing from most mm. of those ancient texts. So... Um, as this researcher went to these tribes, he showed 12 colored squares together. Um, 11 were green, one was blue. And the tribe could not select the blue square from the green squares. But when they were shown only green squares, but each of the greens were slightly different, the tribe actually could identify the ever so slight differences in shading because they had tons of words to describe green. So David Hoff, the researcher, concluded that without a word for color or without ways to describe how a color is different, it's harder for us to identify that color at all, which reinforces the power of language in our lives, both externally, but also internally, because without understanding and expanding our vocabularies, we may be limiting ourselves to seeing our truest potential, and we may be accepting truth from what we can currently describe versus what is truly available. 
Wow, that's really powerful. It makes me think about emotional intelligence and how we, you know, the 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 greater uh, emotional intelligence we have, the better we will be at you know coping and at uh, being able to know what things make us feel well and what things make us feel unwell and and so like you said if we like if the study said that they they couldn't define the difference between blue and green they had no word for blue you know if 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 we don't have a word for the way we are feeling or how to describe the way we're feeling how do we you know other than just sad or angry or you know, happy, um, mm-hmm. you know, the better we can get at defining those, right? It seems like we can then become even better at, uh, at creating those things in our life. I totally agree. And there's actually a book and it's, it's in a book format, but the title is exactly what it is. And it's called the Dictionary of Emotions. And I do not have it in front of me, so I do not remember the author, but essentially it's a dictionary of emotions. And so as humans, I believe that we have a tendency to glean towards in describing our feelings, five emotions or so, and you named some of them, right? So it's Mm. this um, fear, anger, happiness, sadness, and joy are usually like the five that most people kind of circulate around and like, I'm feeling sad today. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling happy. Yeah. I'm feeling afraid, right? Mm-hmm. But in his in this dictionary, I mean, it has words like melancholy, which is not like we know what it means, but it's not something we use to describe our emotions, but it's there. It's an op, it's an option for us. Right. So having this dictionary of emotions has been extremely helpful for me in a couple of ways because it opens up and spreads my vocabulary of how am I really feeling? Because I may say mm-hmm. I'm feeling angry, but in fact, I'm actually just irritated. And there's a difference. And knowing that can apply that EQ, like you were talking about that emotional intelligence of, all right, so how am I really feeling instead of just applying this blanket emotion just for the sake of it? If I know what I'm really feeling, then I can really break it down. And if it's a negative emotion, I can break it down. I can understand it. I can sit in it for a minute. I can work through it. I can come back to the other side of the, the pendulum, right? The other side of the spectrum to the positive side of our emotions. And I, I think that for most people without emotional language, if we're looking at that pendulum, that spectrum of positive or negative feelings, a lot of people have a tendency to live in the far side of the negative emotions, just based on the language they're using and have occasional blips into the happy side. And so through emotional intelligence, and of course, a series of exercise, personal development, things like that, I think you can shift that. So you're spending more time on the positive side with occasional blips into the negative side, but you know how to maintain a more happy, positive, and joyous life. And also when you blip back to the negative side, it's a blip because you have the tools and equipment and language to work through it and come back. Mm. I love that so much. That's, that's really fascinating. And I mean, like you said, in this dictionary of emotions, you know, uh, it's melancholy instead of just, you know, sad. And mm-hmm. there's a difference, right? And I mean, I think about Eskimos having like, I don't know how many different words for snow, right? And there's so many different types of snow for Eskimos because they, they know which kinds of snow are different uh, types of snow because they, it, it, ma- it could be a matter of life and death for some of them. And, um, and I think about even like, yeah, this one word that I, I actually named 
my first cello after this Spanish word, <laughs> I, which I did, I named my cello. My first one, I had not named my second cello, but um, the, the first one I named Morinha, which is a Spanish word for, it's basically like a home homesickness for a unknown yet comforting home in the sky or like in heaven basically like a a homesickness for heaven almost um a place that we can't necessarily describe but we want to go to and that we long for and which is like there's no word for that in in english you know um so i love this this like getting down to the to the like what are you actually feeling and and even you know because english doesn't necessarily have a word for it um I've even seen some techniques of, of developing emotional intelligence that where you literally make up a word, you like combine two words or you, you, you invent a word for how you're feeling and that can actually increase your emotional intelligence. So thank you for sharing. That's really interesting. And I, I want to go check out that dictionary on emotions. It's, uh, a, it's a great tool. Uh, I use it also. I do a technique to help me work through my emotions every day that um, I essentially write out I'm feeling blank because, and then I write the stories of why I'm feeling that way to help me Mm. have a positive emotional expression and also organize it. So I feel a little more clear mentally and emotionally. And there are days where I'm like, am I feeling anything? And, and I mean anything in like a negative sense, something that I need to like release and express. Mm. And there's been times where I'm like, I'm just going to open the dictionary and flip to the first negative word and read it and put that in and write the stories of how I might be feeling that way. Because it's also an opportunity to uncover the actual stories and emotions I'm feeling versus just I'm feeling angry because. So it's, it's a great tool and it's a great emotional intelligence awareness piece as well. That's a really cool mixture of language and emotion. I love that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this kind of conversation that exists inside of our head that we maybe, maybe don't necessarily talk about a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but that uh, most psychologists will call it self-talk. And it's this kind of, you know, what we are talking to ourselves, how we are talking to ourselves inside of our head, this kind of silent speech or this silent language. Um, so, you know, how do you think this has an impact on the outcomes that we, that we want, like this language inside of our head? Oh, I think it has every impact on every outcome. And I believe that because I use a, a framework called CLEAR. And CLEAR stands for circumstances, language, emotion, action, and results. And essentially, any circumstance that you have in your life is neutral. doesn't matter if you got that promotion at work or if you just got let go from your job. It doesn't matter if your wife had a baby or a family member passed away. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter, matter, but in terms of the situation, the circumstance itself is neutral. Mm. What applies meaning to it is our internal dialogue, our language that we use, our thoughts. That applies meaning to it, which almost instantaneously will feed into our emotions, which as much as we like to say that we are logical beings, we make a lot of our decisions off of emotions. So when we are feeling the circumstance, we've applied meaning to it with our language, our language almost instantaneously supports, is supported by an emotion, then that emotion leads to actions that we take, which leads to the results in our lives. Results here 
the equate of what you had just said as outcomes. So mm. the outcomes of our, of our world, I think is wholly wrapped upon this idea of language, because if you can change your language, you can change your emotions, you change your emotions, you change your actions, you change your actions, you change your results because the circumstances are always neutral. It's the language we have that apply those that meaning to it. So by changing that internal dialogue, because most of the time it's the language that you're using around a circumstance is not, it happens and then you're talking to somebody about it and that shapes your actions and results. It's the language you have internally. It's those thoughts that then lead to everything else. Hmm. I love that. That's amazing. Clear. That's so cool. Uh, Circumstance, language, emotion, action and then results that's very that's very powerful um it, it, it reminds me a lot of of the kind of cbt type of models um that i've that i've uh you know read about and, and practiced um and that therapists have even um you know suggested to me as well so that is that is a great strategy i like it and it's a fun way to remember it clear it's almost like you're clearing your mind right and you're getting exactly. clear you're getting clear on your results. You're getting clear on your actions, your emotions, and you're clarifying through your language, the life that you want. Okay. So you were talking about clear in the circumstance, language, emotions, action, results. And uh, so I wonder if you have a story that you could kind of illustrate this with. I definitely do. And I think it's important to note too, that like you can walk backwards through the model, right? So it's taken me years to get to the point where I can proactively do the clear model in the moment, which is what I'll share with my story. But there's been so many times where I've been able to go, wow, this outcome happened. This result happened. I wish I could have handled that a little bit differently. And you can actually work backwards through the model. So for example, let's say that you had, uh, you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse, like you're fighting with your spouse, or maybe you're not talking to each other, the fight's over and you're just kind of like mad, right? That could be your, that's your result. Well, if you work backwards, the action that you took was maybe you kind of pushed their buttons a little bit and you started this fight. Well, why did you start that fight? Because you were feeling scared. Maybe you were feeling like you weren't being seen. And if you can look back from there, you could look at the language and say, well, the language was is that they didn't, when they, the story behind it is the circumstance was they came home. Maybe you were already home. You'd had a rough day and they didn't say hi to you. And so you felt like you were, your language goes, they didn't see me. They don't care about me. They don't love me. And then you start to immediately feel vulnerable, scared, afraid, like all these things. And you're like, okay, well, I want, I want them to see me. So then you start to push some buttons. And next thing you know, you've taken this action and now you're in the fight. So you can kind of work backwards and see what language was supporting the emotions that led to the actions that led to the results. And then you can take that and of course apply it to the next circumstance and be more aware of your language. So for me and my story last summer, I was rear ended at a light, like the light turned green. I started to go and someone rear ended me. And my first thought, my first language that I used was, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Oh, that's so irritating. I'm sure they were probably on their phone, not paying attention. And I started to get kind of worked up because I don't like being inconvenienced. Side note, fun fact about me. I don't like inconveniences that don't make sense. So I was just like, oh, it was just like grating on me already because it just felt like an inconvenience because it wasn't my fault. They rear-ended me. So if I follow the clear method down from there, my language immediately, immediately would lead to 
anger, frustration, irritation, which would lead to actions that maybe I'd get out of my car and be like, are you kidding me? Were you paying attention? Which could trigger them. Now we've got an argument going on. Of course, we're going to call the police at this point. We're going to be there for two hours. And the results are two hours later, I'm still, I'm still upset. I'm still frustrated. And I've wasted two hours of my time. The other side of that, and this is thank goodness what actually happened was I did, I got rear-ended and my language was the same. Like, are you kidding me? Were they, they weren't even paying attention. This is so frustrating. Are you serious right now? And then I stopped myself because I could feel myself starting to get angry. And I was like, who do I want to be in this situation? And now I have a declaration that I, I walk my clients through this, but I also have my own declaration that I've custom created for me. And it is. I am an intuitive mentor, vibrant, abundant, and filled with light. So if I'm feeding myself language that's, are you kidding me? I'm so frustrated. The person wasn't paying attention. I'm not vibrant, abundant, or filled with light. So how do I shift that? I need to change my language. Now, the point here is I don't need to be happy or overjoyed that I got rear-ended. Like you don't have to suddenly <laughs> change that and like, oh, the whole world, sunshine and rainbows. No. But by saying my declaration, changing my language, using the power of my language, I could go, okay, vibrant, abundant, and filled with light. That's who I want to be right now. That's who I always want to be. Anger, angry, irritated, and frustrated is not that. But by changing my language in my head, saying my declaration, I can neutralize those emotions. I don't have to be happy about it, but I can be neutralized, which clears me up, clear method there emotionally, mentally, and physically to be able to take the actions of the person I want to be that I'm going to become versus the person driven by my poor language habits and my negative emotions. So what happened was, is I used my declaration, neutralized my emotions, got out of my car and said, Hey, are you okay? Now, side note to this, this person was actually kind of irritated and they were like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> which previous would have sent me over the top because they <laughs> ran into me. Right. And they're like, yeah, I'm fine. And so I'm like, cool. I'm glad you're okay. I'm okay too. Cause they didn't ask. I was like, is your car okay? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, great. Well, my car looks like it's fine too. It didn't even scratch the bumper. It's a 23 year old car. They're like I am fine to call it. If you're fine to call it, they're like, yeah. And they get in their car and they drive off and I get back in my car and I'm like, wow, that was five minutes instead of two hours. And I actually feel pretty solid about it. And the car's fine. I'm fine. It's not a big ordeal. And it's all because I changed my language. I know exactly how that would have turned out if I had kept the language and led to the negative emotions and led to the poor actions, and then probably would have been triggered double much because of how she was behaving and then led to a result that would have been this huge ordeal. Whereas it was just five minutes out of my day, I was able to go home. And now it makes for a great story about the, the power of the clear model. But that's how you can like work through it in real time. But it all comes to this idea of changing your language, shifting it. So it's who you want to be in any circumstance because the circumstance is neutral. Who do you want to be in your life and living that way through the power of your language? That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that story too. I think um, stories can really help solidify that in our minds. And it really, to me, it's almost like you changed the story that you were telling yourself, right. With your language. And, you know, and I think that's something that can just totally, you know, totally, uh, revolutionize the way 
we act, um, like you said, the actions can change and then the results change. And yeah, like if you were to, you know, ask somebody, would you rather spend two hours, you know, uh, in a horrible mood and totally frustrated and stressed out and, you know, full of anger and, you know, higher blood pressure or whatever, or would you rather spend five minutes that way? I think most people would probably say, well, yeah, I mean, five minutes. (laughs) Well, and even then, it's not five minutes that way. It's 10 seconds. Mm, Right. Because the circumstance as it lasted was five minutes, but in the 10 seconds it took to change my language, I could change everything else. Right. And you know, the interesting thing that goes along right with that is that emotions, I guess neuroscientists have found that the, 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 the life of an emotion chemically in our brain is like at the most like 90 seconds. Right. And so it's the thoughts mm-hmm. that feed those, that keep those emotions going. Because like the, the neurochemicals that make us feel that way, that only last about 90 seconds. And so if, if we can change our thoughts, uh, you know, the longest we're going to feel something really is about 90 seconds. It's our thoughts that keep those alive. Well, and so. if you think about it, have you ever told a story of a time that was upsetting to you? And let's say it was like two years ago, but you've held on to it. And when you tell it, you feel the exact same way that you felt, if not even more intensely, as you did when it happened. Mm. I, I've had that happen before, where I'll tell somebody a story of something that happened a few years ago, but I was upset about, and I will get equally, if not more upset, in retelling it. Right. And as, as humans, our language has that kind of power. And we hold on to the stories to feel things. That's what stories are. They're a way for us to communicate and to feel things. And so when we have the power to change our language, whether it's in the story way after the fact or in the moment itself, when you can change your language and identify how you want to live your life, the emotions that you want to have, the thoughts, the beliefs you want to have, the actions you want to take, the results that you desire, that can be, that can be the changing point of everything. I think that's really powerful. We hold on to the stories to feel things. And I think that's, that's huge. I, I think about, I'm, I'm uh, preparing to take the GRE and uh, this graduate record examination, I think is what it's actually called. And I, ever since I think 2008 or 2009, I just dreaded taking this standardized test because when I was in high school, I took a standardized test, did horribly, and it had zero prediction of how you know, well, I did in college, I did incredibly well in college, but I, you know, and they're supposed to predict how well you do. And anyway, so I always had this fear of, of standardized tests. And just recently I started to practice and, and, and just try to, you know, start doing the, the GRE, get ready for the GRE, studying for the GRE. And I've really had to battle, right. I've really had to battle the stories and the language in my head of like, this is impossible, or you're not smart enough, or, you know, all these really negative, uh, you know, self-talk about this uh, GRE for me. And, and so that's been almost the hardest part of it is not like just, okay, trying to figure out what the heck is a, you know, trapezoid and um, figure out geometry and algebra again, but also, you know, change my language to myself about, whether or not I'm capable of doing this because the results, like you said, that I want 
or to just get a good score so I can, you know, apply to the grad schools I want to go to. So, yeah. yeah. Can, can we take a minute? Can we do, can we do some? D- yes. On, yes. On podcast coaching? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I would recommend a declaration for yourself. Okay. Because, and you know this through vision board stuff as well, but like what we say to ourselves has all the power of our outcomes. And subconsciously you have adopted this belief that at a high level here, that you're not good at taking tests. Hmm. So how do you get through that? We need to convince you that you're good at taking tests. And as cheesy as it sounds, declarations are a great way to do that because you can customize it to say your name. So like, I am Andy Proctor and I, and what do you want this to look like? You, I, I am excellent at taking tests. I remember all information accurately and I fill in my bubbles beautifully or whatever it is. <laughs> but saying those, yeah. that, that something like that to yourself over and over and over again is going to set the tone and the standard for your, like every time that you're about to study, say something along those lines, positive, present tense, like it's already happened before you study along the lines of breaking through that belief of not being good enough to take or not being good at tests because it will set the tone for your study sessions and you will start to believe it and it all will roll into place that by the time you go into taking that test you'll be you'll say it to yourself and you'll believe it and you'll be ready to rock and roll I love it that's awesome now I was just writing some down as you were speaking you know I am Andy Proctor and I'm an amazing test taker. I am, I am good at math. I think quickly. I'm brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, I have excellent recall. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I, um, I have clients who have had fears of going into like large meetings. Uh, so working professionals who are pretty high up, but are still fit that still feel insecure around going into meetings that have like C-suite executives. So we worked on a declaration for, for this individual specifically in this example. Um, we worked on a declaration for her and over time, every time she'd go into this meeting, she'd say it in her head and she started to believe it. And she got so much more connections with these C-suite individuals, more projects were handed to her, promotions and things came down the line, all because of the way she was able to present herself in these meetings to not be afraid because she had used the power of her language to support her. So cool. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I, I have homework now. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do these and then I'm going to tell you how it goes um, in, on October 27th because the day I take it is the 26th. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, please check back uh, in. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that coaching session. I love it. Um, so that was awesome. Um, I want to also just talk a little bit about um, a, a bit of the impact and, and, you know, briefly kind of talking about how our conversations that we have with, I mean, you talked about this in the story of the car accident, which I think is amazing. Um, but, you know, if within our head, we have this, this whole conversation going on, what about the conversations that we have with other people? How do these, how does this language, right, have an impact on us? I think it can have a great impact on us because let's say in your test taking example, back when you had the one test that maybe didn't go the way that it wanted to, maybe you were talking to someone and you're like, yeah, it didn't go quite the way I wanted it to. And they said, yeah, well, maybe you're not a good test taker. Right. 
and you might may have adopted that belief just off that person saying that and you may not have even known that i don't know the situation but hypothetically speaking and so the language and the discussions we have with others can have a great impact on the beliefs that we adopt which then supports the language that we use for ourselves so there's conversation there's conversations with others like what we're having now but then there's also conversations with others that have that ingraining quality that we don't even know happens and that can be things like well the test taking example another one that comes to mind is somebody if you didn't make the the volleyball team and someone's like yeah well maybe you just weren't good enough but that's okay there's other things your brain might have attached to this idea of i'm not good enough and then how much of that is getting applied in other areas of your life because you right. now have adopted the language and the belief that you're not good enough because of a conversation with someone else so well, I think that you probably meant this question to be more of like, hey, how do we manage these conversations with other people? I think it's incredibly important and vital that when someone says something, you are aware if you are adopting that as a belief for yourself or not. Hmm. Yeah. So kind of almost having this like gatekeeper, this like internal cognitive gatekeeper of, okay, I realize that what's going on right now in this conversation is to me uh, pretty negative and almost like very stuck kind of language, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I, and that's not what I necessarily value or desire in my life. And you can even say that kind of to yourself, right? Like in the back of your head while a conversation is going on. Um, and yeah, so I, th I think that's really, really helpful. Um, especially for, you know, when we go into these situations where we don't necessarily have control over, how often we can spend time with, with, us, with certain people, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe at work or in our families and we know we're going to be the, with those people and we can't control what they say, but um, you know, we can at least control what we say to ourselves after being with them. Definitely. Well, and it's kind of like, for lack of a better way to put it, choose your friends wisely. Because if you have somebody who's always pumping you up and is like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. I can't, I never would have thought about that. Like, that's so awesome. You're like the, the smartest person I know. You're the greatest test taker. Like all of these things. Right. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And even if your internal language is like, well, no, I did fail that one test. Eventually you're gonna be like, this person's awesome to hang out with. Every time I talk to them, I feel so much better and I feel better about myself. And you start to adopt their language of like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I'm so excited about this. And in your head, I am intelligent. I am good at taking tests, all of these things. Whereas if you're with somebody who, even if they're just bashing themselves, they're like, oh, I'm terrible at taking tests. I can't do this. I, when do, who do, how do people have time to study? I just have so much going on, yada, yada, yada. You're gonna start, you could, I should say, if you don't have the gatekeeping space, you could start to be like, yeah, how do people have time? Do I have time to study? What am I going to do? And like, well, they said that study method didn't work for them. So maybe it won't work for me. And how do I, like, it just spirals down. So I think those languages with that language, those conversations with other people, it's really crucial to have that gatekeeping, but then also be aware of like, who in your life is bringing you up and uses encouraging and positive language and who in your life may be not so positive and encouraging and how can, how can you gatekeep if that's the case? Love it. It's really powerful. I think it really can be life-changing. So I want to talk also with you um, kind of some, a couple of the last questions I have for you here is about, you know, we, 
we are online, we are, you know, both reading things online as well as, um, uh, you know, typing things or saying things online, um, on social media, uh, and emails even, you know, and you know, how about those kind of conversations and language that we use when we write in our, in, in social media, um, or even like, you know, in our journals, um, when we're, we're actually like writing, like how, how does that, do you have any, any thoughts on those types of, of conversations too in language? Definitely. And I think there's a twofold one, if it's reading things on social media, curate your feed. <laughs> Yeah. curate your feed. I swear it's a game changer. It does not mean you have to unfriend your aunt. It just means that you don't follow her. Right. Yeah. And curate <laughs> There's your a feed. difference. Yes. And so curate your feed so that you are seeing these things that support your life. You're inputting good things in. Now that's part one, but part two, the crux of your question is like that language that we use when we are writing. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here, but bear with me. So as a female, there's a lot of studies around about how women write differently than men. And especially in a professional setting, we use words in our written communication that convey a more feminine or stereotypical feminine uh, language style than say men do. So for years, I have been trying to remove words like just, only, sorry, writing because, things like that from like these pre-qualifiers or these unnecessary words from my email communications. And last year I had the opportunity, I was working with some people who I'd never worked with before. I'd never met them in person and we'd only ever chatted over email. And this person that I was working with had to write a letter for me to go and work in Scotland for five to six weeks. So they had to write a letter to Scottish government and everything else. So that saying what I was doing and what I was doing there, how long I would be there, et cetera. Well, they did the whole, we've been talking for weeks and they finally got the letter all going and they said, okay, here you go. Here's the letter. Take a look at it. Let us know if there's anything that needs to be changed. And keep in mind, my name is Taylor. It can be a boy name. Right. And this person had written this entire letter with male pronouns. He is in Scotland doing this for five weeks. He will be here for this time frame. He will do this. He will do this. This is his stuff. And I was like, this is the proudest moment of my life <laughs> because I had only had email communication with this person and I had worked so hard to take out all these words that would have implied that would have implied a more feminine writing style, which would have made the assumptions of being female. <laughs> and I can't get, I can only get away with that because it's, I have a boy name, but <laughs> I think that is an interesting crossover story. That's why I said I'm taking a different direction, but bear with me about how the language we use can be interpreted by others, but also by ourselves. And the thought here is, well, that was more like gender pronoun specific and gender specific. When we look at the stuff that we're writing, are we supporting language that supports how we want to be perceived? I, didn't, I don't care if I'm perceived as a female but I did take it as a challenge to be perceived as an equal and to, to have somebody assume that I was something else. I was like, that's interesting. Like he never once asked, he just had assumed. And so it's like now from now on, he will always ask just to make sure. Right. And I think in our world of like politically correct and making sure we're using correct pronouns and things like that, that's an important, an important lesson that not that it was purposely done, but Hey, it's there. Um, 
But on the other side of that, like, what do we want in our lives and how is our language supporting that? What words can we remove or what words can we add to build that life and to be perceived and perceive ourselves in a different way? So I do think that writing as it is for whether you personally, like say in a journal where the only person who's going to read it is you, or even on social media, it can have, have an impact on perception, internal and external. So being aware of what words you're using, how you're using them, and putting them in a way that supports who you want to be is everything. I love that so much. And I remember reading a post about, you know, the most powerful words, um, I think it was like 20 words that are really powerful or something like that. And, and so I wonder if you, uh, and maybe you have this on your website or in, in your, in your book, um, can, can share some of these types of, uh, you know, what are some words that we want to remove? Uh, and what are some words that really can empower us and, and, and help us to feel, um, you know, like we can and like we, we are capable you know, it's interesting. I don't have that in the book. Um, oh, yeah. I, just throwing, I just thought, <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. this would be so Addend Addendum two. We're going to add the addendum to the book. Um, no, I, so I don't have that, but I will say one thing that is in the book that I think could be very apropos for this discussion is the tone of your words. And I'm going to say mm. specifically the tone of your words in your head. So I... I don't know about you. I know that there are like a few percentage of people in the world that don't have this, but like I have an internal dialogue. I have an internal voice and it's my voice, but I don't speak it. It's just in my head. So when like the car accident example, are you serious? Oh, they probably weren't even paying attention. That's happening in my head. And it's very much a negative tone. And so hmm considering the tone of your words internally, but also this could be applied externally, I think is huge because the tone of sarcasm specifically is very negative. Yeah. It's, it can be terse. It can be shrill. It can be abrupt and it can be angry. And sarcasm is definitely one of those like, for instance, the car example, my brain went to sarcasm, like, are you kidding me? Like, instead of like, are you kidding me? There's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference in the tone. Like there's right. one that's silly, like, oh my gosh, stop kidding me. And one's like, are you kidding me right now? That's sarcasm, right? And yeah. you can feel the difference in the tone. And so when you're writing, being very aware of the tone that you are using, because that's going to convey the emotions and that will affect everything else. So being aware of the tone in your head or in your writing and auditing that language usage can make such a difference because that's the, the tone in conjunction with the words or the phrases that can bring you up or bring you down. That's really powerful. I love it. So cool. And I just love talking about all this stuff and um, I'm excited for people to, to get your, your book and to read your book and find out more about, you know, how we can improve our language and, and learn more about the language we, we use and how it has an impact on us. Uh, so, and just a quick like nerdy fact that just, uh, you know, related to all this stuff a few years ago, I was actually um, I had this crazy idea of building an Amazon Alexa skill that uh, could listen to your conversations and then 
give you a well-being score based on your language. Uh, there's actually this machine learning algorithm that um, University of Pennsylvania came up with uh, that can actually do this with type text. Uh, but I wanted to see if I could apply it to, you know, some sort of a listening bot or like an Alexa or something like that, and um, see if spoken words could, you know, be as accurate in predicting our well-being and our health as our typed or our written words. And so I still haven't pursued the, this yet, but <laughs> I think it could be so fascinating. And uh, I've thought about it a lot during our conversation. And um, and I think, you know, if anybody else is out there who's a nerd uh, listening to this podcast, you know, go for it. This would be really cool. And I would love to see what you come up with. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you for sharing this, Taylor. And thank you for being on the show again. I love asking this last question to uh, my guests, which is uh, what other advice, other than a lot of the things we've talked about today, um, what advice do you have for people who are just desperate to have a more happy life today? That's a, I feel like that's such a loaded question. Uh, you, <laughs> you know me, uh, and we yes. already kind of talked about this a little bit. Like we both have podcasts on happiness and um, businesses around happiness and we eat, sleep and breathe happiness. So it's like, wow, there's so many things I could say to a question like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say two things. One, I want to reference back to our discussion of language, which is there's another thing that we didn't talk about when it comes to language, which is body language. And um, there's a classic study by Dr. Albert Mahabarian, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Don't hold me to that. Okay. But it's a classic study. Um, and it's found that like the impact of language is 7% of the words used, 38% of the tone and voice, which can do like volume, rate of speech, vocal pitch, et cetera. So if we talk about like, what's your tone? And 55% facial expressions, hand gestures, postures, and other forms of body language. So wow. body language is a very important part of the language that we use. And if you think about it, if you were to hunch your back, scrunch your shoulders, and kind of put your head down, if you saw someone in that position, you would immediately think that emotionally they're feeling sad. Mm. If you did it to yourself, you would start to feel kind of a loss of confidence and you'd start to feel a little less happy. But if you put your shoulders back, you put your head up just slightly, smile, you feel a little bit better. So our brain has a connection to our body language that can help support emotional well-being. So one tip I would recommend is being very cognizant, if possible, of your body language and making adjustments where you are smiling a little bit more, even if it feels fake, smiling a little bit more, have your shoulders back, back straight, your hands relaxed. This is a big one. A lot of people walk around with clenched hands. Relax your hands. You will instantly feel better. And uh, like if you're standing, having your feet shoulder width apart. Those types of actions, as simple as they can sound, can make a big difference in the language of your body, which makes a big difference in your emotional well-being. So that was the first thing that I would recommend in regards to how it also connects to our discussion here. The second thing is, is I would recommend having a, like to be happy in your lives, setting a baseline. So often what happiness means is different to everyone, but also we can just look around and say, I'm not happy. Well, what does that actually look like? So put a scale to it. Today on a scale of one to 10, I am a four in happiness. 
and then measure it the next day in a more general sense and measure it the next day and the next day. And you'll start to see whether you truly are unhappy, which can definitely be shifted um, as, as a learned skill, you can be happy. Or you can be like, actually, that was just a rough day and my life isn't unhappy as a whole. And so just having like a, a baseline of where you're actually at, I think is huge and incredibly helpful for knowing how you want to move forward and taking steps in the right direction. Because saying, I just want to be happier is fantastic. It's a step. But to know how to be happier, which direction to go for happiness, having a ba uh, foundation and a baseline is extremely relevant and helpful. That's really powerful. I love that. And I agree with it hundred percent. And it seems like um, this is a perfect uh, you know, segue into this last question, which is, I think on your website, it seems like you have a scalar or something where you can kind of measure how, how happy you are. Um, is that, is that correct? I think I saw that on your website. Yeah, I do. Uh, so it's your happy score.happinessabound.com. Cool. It's a 10 question survey uh, completely free to take and uh, it helps you find that baseline, a score out of 100. Love it. That's exciting. I, I love that. I think I highly recommend that. Um, where can people find, so you just mentioned happinessabound.com uh, mm -hmm. and where can, is, can people get your, your book there? Um, where can they find you? Yeah. So happinessabound.com is the uh, central hub for everything. I also have a Facebook group called Happiness Abounders. So you can go and ask to join that. And we have stuff going on in there all the time as well. Free um, jumpstart your happiness challenges and uh, resources, workbooks and whatnot. And then uh, you can always find information about me uh, via the podcast, which is also called Happiness Abound. There's a definite theme here. It's all Happiness Abound. <laughs> um, and search Happiness Abound on Instagram or on Facebook. You will find me. Uh, so if you do want to find me, Happiness Abound is the thing to type in. But happinessabound.com will have access to everything. And you can get the book at happinessabound.com as well. Awesome. Super excited and highly recommend that. Um, like I said before, the things that Taylor does um, are life-changing. They changed my life and I highly recommend everything she's doing. So thanks so much again for being on the show, Taylor. It was awesome to have you. Thank you. I always love chatting with you, Andy. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.